So the day is going to cost Pentecostal in ancient Israel is what was called one of those the pilgrimage feasts. There were three of them that Israel observed every year. Uh, the, the first one is associated with Passover, uh, coming out of Egypt, and they commemorated that. And they're called pilgrimage feasts because people come from all over the Mediterranean world, and, and Jerusalem uh, doubles, triples, quadruples in population during that time. So they come from all over uh, and, and spend these days in Jerusalem uh, worshiping at the temple and uh, in commemorating all that God has done. So the first one's Passover. They have one that's, that's called then the Festival of Booths, uh, which uh, is in our fall time, and that's closer to the to the Day of, of Atonement. And then Pentecost is the fifty days after Passover, and and that one commemorates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so in each of those, Jerusalem just swells in population, uh, and it is a, a time of celebration and wonder and worship. And all. Well, in the, in the Christian story, uh, in our story, the day of Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit's poured out on the people of God, which in turn gives birth uh, to the church. It, it marks the day when Jesus, who before his death is limited by his physical body to a specific time, a specific place, now resurrected and ascended to the Father, becomes active and present in all believers at all times and in all places in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit breaks into the world on that day with wonders and signs and power, changing the world forever. The Holy Spirit is now from that time on to today, is now God's presence in the world. But what is the work of this spirit that we call holy? For me, one of the fascinating things about spirit is the word itself. And Drew's talked about this several times, but, but spirit is a perfectly good English translation of the biblical text from both Hebrew and Greek. Uh, but what's interesting is that both the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and the Greek word in the New Testament have the same multiple meanings. The Hebrew word is ruah, and the Greek word is pneuma, and they both can be translated spirit or wind or breath, which when you stop to think about it, may already enlarge our understanding of what we mean when we say Holy Spirit, breath, wind. I know more about breath and wind than I do about spirit, so it gives me a framework. And they can be used interchangeably. In, in, for example, in Genesis 1-1, uh, the NIC, New Revised Standard Version, it tries to be a fairly word-for-word -word translation, so it sounds a little different than what we're probably used to. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind of ruah from God swept over the face of the waters. Okay, good enough, a, a wind from God. 
So you don't think too much about it. But then the NIV, New International Version, which is not a word-for-word translation, but what they call a dynamic thought, uh, they're saying, well, this is really what they meant to say, kind of translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, the ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. So which is it? Is it wind or spirit? The point being that this power, this catalyst, this agency, this fullness of God is active in the formative, creative, life-generating beginning of all things. And there's some mystery associated with that. Another example of kind of this role presence of spirit in the Old Testament. The spirit can make a way where there seems to be no way. Most translations that we use says God, God parted the Red Sea with a strong east wind. But the word used is ruach. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Was it wind or was it spirit? It seems a mystery, but maybe it was both after all. Who's to say that a wind isn't also filled with uh, what we would call spirit? Perhaps it was both. The work of the spirit may not always be completely and immediately obvious, but in this case, standing at the Red Sea with the Egyptian army on one side and the sea on the other, the spirit, the ruah, be a wind or spirit, makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. The spirit is also in the Bible, the source of visions and dreams. One of the more famous visions in, is in Ezekiel 37 with what is known as the Valley of Dry Bones. The young prophet Ezekiel sees a vision of a valley of bones, dead and dry, and he's told to prophesy to them. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, wind, spirit, ruach, enter you, and you will come to life. This is what the, Lord, the sovereign Lord says, come breathe, come breath from the four hands and breathe into these slain that they may live. Again, it's that word that has all of these meanings of uh, what exactly is going on here. The spirit enters it is the wind, the breath that brings new life where previously there was only death and decay. The Spirit is not only the giver of visions, but the Spirit is the power that makes those visions reality. And so in the New Testament, we kind of see the same idea where we're just going to change the word from robot to pneuma. In Luke 4, which in the Gospel of Luke is Jesus' inaugural sermon. He's in a synagogue in Capernaum, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah's already had this experience 850 years earlier, and Jesus is going to recapitulate that. The same Spirit's going to be working. He's going to say, 
The spirit, the movement of the Lord is upon me to announce good news. Isaiah and Jesus had the exact same experience of the spirit using them as proclaimers of God's message of good news. The pneuma, the spirit, then, is the herald of God's salvation, of God's judgment, of God's intent, of God's kingdom. Spirit makes sure God's message is made known where God wants that message to be known. And then we move on to Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3, when Jesus says to him, Truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Numa. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Numa gives birth to Numa. You should not be surprised when I say you must be born again. And then look what he does. Play on words here. The wind, the spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit is wind. And it comes, according to Jesus, in ways sometimes that we least expect. And it moves in directions we don't anticipate. In effect, in this passage, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the Spirit is God's obstetrician, God's midwife, giving birth to life. The Spirit, again, is the catalyst for a new life, a new source, a new power, a new relationship with God, setting us on a new path. This seems to be, from Scripture, the large part of the Spirit among us and within us. So that brings us to Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. With the Spirit of God, the wind acting in creation, the breath in the dry bones in Ezekiel's valley, the voice of God's message for the world, the mystery of Nicodemus's rebirth is poured out on all the believers. Okay. A few weeks ago, down the, the government elections, it's called Harvard now. <clears throat> I chose to attend a class session that, that was titled to be about two Old Testament prophets. After all, I thought, what can be more exciting than a lecture on Old Testament prophets at 8 in the morning? <laughs> so when I got there, fully primed to hear about Old Testament prophets, it wasn't about prophets at all. Instead, it was about a national organization that I wasn't familiar with called the Network of Biblical Storytelling. It is an organization that encourages and trains people to tell sections of the Bible as if they are storytellers using gestures and facial expressions, pauses and pacing of speech uh, to convey a larger sense of the text. It was fascinating. The uh, speaker told us the story of two Old Testament prophets. That's where the title came from. But his exceptional telling made those stories come, those prophets come alive. 
He then had us partner up with other people in class, and we had to take turns telling the Bible story of the persistent widow from Luke 17. It's a really short story. It's much harder than what you think. We weren't very good at it as beginners, but it was a thoroughly enjoyable session. So today, I'm going to use you as guinea pigs. I'm going to try to tell you the story of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. This is the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people, which gives birth to the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the believers, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? <laughs> Utterly amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? There aren't. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, that parts of Libya near Cyrene, there are visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts and Judeans and Cretans and Arabs. What does this mean? Somehow I make fun of them. And said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is in my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also is, will rest in hope. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Yet, he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah. That it was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to
to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he wanted them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, he added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're about to do that. Let me draw a full page out of Drew's book. I'd like to hear a few reflections. What do you hear? What struck you? What, what's going on here maybe that gives you a bit of a new insight into the spirit? Uh, in this, or in, inside of the new, what reflections do you have?
Say that again. Can, can we get some second? There you go. I believe the Spirit is still working today. We have to look for it in everything we do. And uh, if you do that, like I often say, you know, if something happens good, it's a God thing. It's a God thing, it's a spirit thing. If we look for it, we'll find it. And that uh, help our belief. Thanks a Okay, thank you. Who else? Reflections. This unusual thing that happened was all part of the big picture, you know, from beginning to end. And the other thing that struck me is this morning is that the spirit is not strange and mysterious. It's a little different, but it's still the character of God, the character of Christ. It's not operating in a different manner. It's fulfilling everything. Good. Good. Second. Well, you know, today people around the world they're speaking in you know different languages. You know, praising God and praising Christ. Uh, there are different languages. You know, because only one message that comes out of that is. Yes, um, I was kind of amazed about this thing by Peter. You know, he's the one who was uh, like Jesus. And now he suddenly takes up some preaching, the rest of Israel. And this boldness that he had in that ministry, and it betrayed him. The Israel of God to understand and see is to show you the I love your story. I almost think this happened in the end. <laughs> I really love the Holy Spirit in a new way. And it, it kind of made me feel like I was there. So I, I, that, was, that was really good. Anyone else? Two things at the beginning. Make you think of the title of that uh, movie that's very recent, Everything, Everywhere, All the Time. Um, and then I the spirit. And the second one is that really started me new is when we got to the point where he said, Repent and be baptized. He made it sound. Yeah, I, I think uh, just to build on what Orla said, it felt 
not just three-dimensional, but have felt other-dimensional. And I think a lot of times we've read that story in the Bible that feels very flat. It doesn't feel real. But when you were talking, you, you said the word joy. There was joy in it. It, it was a different experience. Well, you could describe it that felt like, but it, it, it made me think um, we get very comfortable reading scripture and trying to understand it the same way. And it's not until you put yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable, because I'm sure that wasn't a super easy thing to do, right? Um, because you're always so flamboyant. Um, that we need to also put ourselves into situations where we can understand scripture in ways that, that make us uncomfortable. And maybe then that's when the spirit really does show us something that we have not experienced before. Yeah, I think in regards to that, um, I like many of you have, uh, you know, lived my life with chapter two of Acts. It's, it's kind of our, our, our verse. Um, and, and one that I discovered in practicing learning how to do this is uh, it, I had to work really hard not to fall back into those root emphases. That we, that we always would agree. Uh, okay, uh, oh wait a minute. That doesn't that doesn't convey the emotion or the feeling or, or what or the excitement or actually what's going on there. And so in I didn't memorize this chapter. I had to relearn <laughs> this chapter. I, I had to I had to I will say it reinterpret this chapter in a way that I've never interpreted it or heard it before. Which, here's my second thing, is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. When Peter says, oh, no, 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 this is what Joel was talking about. Well, they've never heard it, that that was what Joel was talking about. And then those statements about, well, you know, David said this, and they're going, what are you talking about? David wasn't talking about this guy. 800 years later, they reinterpreted everything. They heard scripture new in all of this. When the Spirit is poured out, you're going to hear scripture and faith and everything in new ways. That's what lives life and, and vigor and, and, as William was saying, uh, the courage that Peter showed to speak. Back on this video. All right. Thank you for those. Very briefly, the same spirit that was the wind of creation, that was the breath that brought the valley of dry bones to life, that came upon Isaiah and Jesus to proclaim good news, the same spirit delivering new birth in the Nicodemus story, and that appeared as tongues of flame on the day of Pentecost is the same Spirit that now lives in you. The Holy Spirit is the blowing wind that makes a way where there seems to be no way. The Holy Gust, as we have sometimes referred to them, is that moves you when you least expect it and have little idea where it may take you, but you know you are be being carried along by power that is not your own. 
It is the same spirit that is with you, that scripture elsewhere describes as an advocate, a comforter, one who guides you into truth, one who intercedes for you with groans too deep for words, one who produces the fruit of the kingdom of God in your life. It is the same Holy Spirit that empowers the church that engenders unity of believers, that convicts us of sin, that produces perseverance, and acts as a wellspring of joy. It is this spirit, this wind, this breath that serves as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come for God's people. This breath of God lives and moves in you. It is the wind that propels us, shapes us, and finally saves us. The Spirit in us is proof of God's love for us. And thanks be to God for this oneness. Let's stand and sing.